Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Migration Oxford podcast. I'm Rob McNeil. And I'm Jackie Broadhead. In this episode, we're going to be talking about migrant entrepreneurialism and we're going to have a focus particularly on refugee entrepreneurialism. Uh, and so just to kick it off, I was going to ask you, Jackie, I mean, what motivated you to focus on this issue in particular? Well, thanks, Rob. Partly this was about uh, visiting an exhibition at the Migration Museum. We're going to be talking about that today called Taking Care of Business, which is all about the kind of contribution of migrant entrepreneurs to the British high street and to kind of all of our all of our high streets and not just the big businesses, um, you know, and some of the stories of migrant entrepreneurship that we might all have heard um, in a British context, places like Marks and Spencers and things, but also um, some of the smaller businesses. So thinking about the corner shops and the Chinese takeaways and, and things like that. And as I was visiting the exhibition, that got me thinking about all of the research that I know is going on about this topic um, in terms of understanding its dynamics and understanding the contribution that's been made, but also some of the challenges and and some of the sense that we have sometimes that um, migrants get pushed towards entrepreneurship because of other barriers to them uh, entering employment um, in a in maybe a slightly less risky way. So um, that might be kind of language barriers for newcomers, but also things like structural um, discrimination and things like that. So we wanted to explore a little bit uh, about the exhibition and really excited to kind of be able to speak to one of the curators, but also, um, but also to get the sense of kind of what do we know from research about this idea of entrepreneurship, why it's seen as this policy response and if actually there are some structural barriers that we should be addressing at the same time as as encouraging this kind of innovation um, and dynamism from uh, newcomers. I think the other really interesting question that comes through is how entrepreneurship affects um, our ideas about the type of communities that we have. So our interactions with businesses and migrant businesses on the high street or in our day-to-day lives, um, does that have a big effect on our kind of communities, the way that we think about our communities? Which I think is really, really nice. It's, I mean, I, I suppose food, again, I mean, it's it's slightly the kind of the obvious thing that we think about because we all interact with it on a day-to-day basis. And uh, But, but you know you you talk a lot when we when we're doing various things about this kind of two-way process of mutual accommodation being what integration is and a lot of people are kind of reticent to acknowledge that and think well you know no people it's the responsibility of the migrant to change and adapt to the society that they live in but of course i mean nothing nothing really encapsulates how societies shift and change better than the move that people slowly make towards different cuisines diff- eating different things i think it's super super interesting it's a super nice way of understanding how integration can work. Yeah, and it's very practical and it's much more applied than some of the kind of slightly abstract ideas. It's true. It's a metric these are metrics that we can see and taste every day and that's a really wonderful thing. Well, I think that's quite enough of us chatting about stuff. Let's let's talk to some people who really know what they're talking about. Okay, so just walking through the doors from Lewisham Shopping Centre into the Migration Museum and I'm joined by Aditi Anand, the Artistic Director here and Curator of the Taking Care of Business exhibition. Hi Aditi. Hi Jackie. So we start off coming into the migrant makers market, the next iteration of the museum gift shop which I really enjoy. And then we move through into what I would have to say is a kind of perfect uh, recreation of the Lucky Star 
uh, takeaway? Yeah, I think I think the Chinese takeaway is as one space where we have lots of really emotional reactions, and yeah, it's very evocative. There's a space here where you can pick up a phone and dial numbers to listen to s memories from takeaway kids. Uh, it's very interactive. People can leave their memories. So I think yeah, I think this has definitely hit a chord with a lot of our audiences. And so then as we kind of wind our way past the tables, uh, what I can see coming next is a whole load of shopping bags, uh, very apt for our location. Yeah, so I mean the exhibition is kind of set up a bit like a high street in a way. So you've got these different sections that look at different types of businesses. So, you know, we touched on food, we touched on technology. Um, this particular section was looking at style and the ways that migrant businesses have shaped our styles through the ages. Absolutely. And I guess we're sort of, if this is the high street, we're maybe in like the town square here, I guess, because we've got uh, fashion, we've got sort of homeware, we have the perfect sort of evocation of a corner shop. And then finally, we have the golden scissors. It has a come in, wear open sign. So this is the barbers. Yeah, so we had, um, we had a barbershop in our Room to Breathe exhibition before uh, where we had this installation which is about you know, migrant barbers and their customers having conversations. You sit down in the barber's chair and you can kind of listen into these conversations. Um, so we kept that but we also expanded this space to look at the history of kind of hair and beauty businesses um, and yeah, explore some of the stories that aren't as particularly well known. Great. Thank you so much for that tour around the exhibition maybe if we just take a seat and have a little bit more of a chat about taking care of business. We're sat here in the middle of Lewisham Shopping Centre at the museum. Um, was that an inspiration for this exhibition? Yeah definitely. Um, our location here inside Lewisham Shopping Centre was definitely an inspiration for the Taking Care of Business exhibition. Um, I think when we were planning the exhibition we couldn't help but notice that we're in a very diverse part of London inside the shopping centre, which is full of shops that were started by migrant um, entrepreneurs. Um, I think there were a few other considerations as well, like we've been thinking about um, certain anniversaries that fall within the year that we're launching the exhibition. So um, this year marks the 50th anniversary of the arrival of Ugandan Asians. Um, and that's a community that's had a huge impact in the business world in Britain. So all of those kind of threads wove into the idea of the exhibition. And that's one of the things that I really liked, this idea of it covers both kind of high street businesses, businesses that we know really well, like Costa Coffee and kind of quite surprising origins uh, in the 70s, but also co-curated spaces that focused on kind of uh, everyday local businesses like the corner shop, Chinese takeaway and that kind of thing. I know one of the slogans of the museum is kind of all our stories. Um, was that something that was kind of important to you in putting this together and how did you translate that through into some of the things we see in the exhibition? Yeah, I think sometimes in putting together an exhibition like this, sometimes there's... Um it's easier or there's a temptation to kind of focus on the big success stories, the recognizable names. Um, so obviously there's, you know, a large number of those in our exhibition, everything from M&S to Costa Coffee, Ramal, Robert Dias. Um, but, you know, for me, it was equally important that we represent businesses at all scales. And really the exhibition is about looking at the ways that migrant entrepreneurship impacts our everyday lives from the clothes we wear, um, the food we eat, you know, the apps on our phones, just all the things we kind of take for granted, but um, are a huge part of our lives. And I think also it was really important to look at the different scales of businesses because, um, you know, sometimes the, the bigger stories obscure the fact that, of why so many people 
get into entrepreneurship to begin with. Um, and, you know, with the story of the sort of takeaway or the corner shop, you really see it was a story about survival, really. It wasn't, you know, about people coming here necessarily with a zeal to start a business, but it was because they were... Um, discriminated against in the job market or didn't have the kind of networks to allow themselves um, to kind of get the jobs that they were previously qualified for. So a lot of them, the a way of entering um, the job market was through starting their own small scale businesses. Mm. I wondered, was there anything that particularly surprised you as you were putting together these stories? Also, the people who were co-curating them, were they surprised about what they learned about their own family's histories? I think what, what surprised me most, actually, though, probably was just how many quintessentially British businesses have migrant roots. I don't think I'd quite appreciated that when we started doing the research. Because, um, you know, there's some that seem sort of obvious. Um, but, you know, th- th- there's a lot that I personally didn't realize. And it was and it's actually quite difficult to find the migrant origins because you have an inkling about it. But there isn't, you know, these companies have been sold multiple times. They aren't necessarily archives. So actually the digging in and finding all of, you know, all of these stories. Um, but yeah, I think I think what, what really struck me is, yeah, just how many of those stories there are, <laughs> um, whether it's sort of KP Nuts or Durex or, you know, Burton, um, all of these things we think of as being quintessentially British. And maybe the businesses themselves don't have that much interest in kind of understanding that history because things change and they're kind of forward looking. And yet capturing that and kind of understanding the contribution that's been made is so important. And it's so fascinating to kind of see and understand it. I think one area where that um, that history is really clear and is often celebrated is in the kind of restaurant section and you know we have a lot of um, I think conversation about the the kind of food histories and the way that they've contributed to Britain and that's kind of probably one of the areas where it's most visible maybe Um, but also this idea that um, initially it was restaurants adapted to kind of fit the British palate and now there's more of a sense of those restaurants kind of changing our national palate. Was that, does that kind of chime with what you found in putting together the exhibition and speaking to those kind of restaurateurs or is there a little bit more kind of nuance to the, to that picture? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, like you said, food is definitely one of the most visible places where we see the impact of migrant-owned businesses. Um, I think one one thing that's interesting is just how far back some of these food stories go. We kind of think it's, you know, it was all (laughs) British food, quote-unquote British food, and then, you know, migrants came along in the sort of 20th century. But some of the restaurants that we look at in the exhibition, you know, their histories go back um, to the 1800s, whether it's looking at the first sort of curry house in Britain. Um, so definitely, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there was a strong thread in looking at some of the um, the sort of businesses that adapted food for British tastes. But equally, there's, I think, a lot of innovation from the start. And I think some businesses actually, it, they were initially started to cater to a kind of migrant population. So exam- for example, um, looking at some of the Brick Lane curry houses, and it's only sort of later on where you had um, some restaurateurs deciding to kind of broaden their clientele base and then market to a sort of white audience or a white British audience. And that involved kind of changing and adapting those dishes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think there's always... There's always adaptation, and I think we one of the questions we pose in the exhibition is also about kind of what makes something authentic, and that's quite a large, long question I think to get into. But I'm quite curious to see where audiences think about that. Like, what is what is authentic food anyway? Because it's always been such a 
mixture of different influences. I noticed that the subtitle of the exhibition is Migrant Entrepreneurship and the Making of Britain. What's been your kind of key takeaway about that contribution? Is there something that you kind of understood better around the contribution of migrant entrepreneurship to Britain? I think what I can say is that just Britain would not be Britain without migrant entrepreneurship, really. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us where we can find the exhibition and how long it's on for? The exhibition is called Taking Care of Business and it's at the Migration Museum until spring of 2023. And we're based in Lewisham in the shopping centre. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we've just been to the Migration Museum and explored migrant entrepreneurialism through the Taking Care of Business exhibition. And now we want to explore some of the research behind refugee entrepreneurialism. I'm delighted to be joined by Gilda Borriello. Gilda is a DFIL candidate in migration studies, where she researches refugee entrepreneurship by studying Syrian refugees in Jordan and Turkey. She's also a consultant for the World Bank, where she works on connecting businesses with refugees through the Private Sector for Refugees Global Initiative. I was really interested to see in your recently uh, launched Twitter page that you have these two questions about refugee entrepreneurship. Why do refugees create a business and what kinds of businesses are created by refugees? I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about why you're interested in these questions and, and what some of the answers that you're finding are. Well, uh, first of all, I think that these two questions are very much interconnected. The reason why refugees start a business also determines what kinds of businesses can be out there. Um, let me start with the, the first, of course, why refugees start a business. Um, refugees are similar to migrants, but are slightly different. Uh, they are a heterogeneous group. They're not all the same. They come from different countries. Each refugee has his own experience or her own experiences. And also the host country play um, a vital role in providing the regulatory environment for business creation. So generally, refugees uh, usually start a business because of lack of other opportunities. Uh, this, of course, influences the kinds of businesses that they start. Usually, these are very small-scale businesses, sometimes informal, in countries with very high inform informality, uh, such as, for instance, East Africa or also Jordan or Turkey. Uh, but I have to say that there are also refugees who start a business by purpose, um, so there is a variety in reasons why refugees create a business and in um, the kinds of businesses they are created. But I think that the interesting question is, is whether uh, the refugees who create a business because of necessity, because they need to survive, do they um, end up being more risk takers? And actually, do they end up having an, an attitude to business ownership or to entrepreneurship? And then um, this implies that they, that they may end up um, growing and generating employment and also not only employment, but also um, other economic benefits for the host country, uh, like innovation. That's a really good point. And I think that idea of entrepreneurship through necessity is really interesting. And, you know, this idea that on the one hand, refugees are can be innovators and are risk-taking, but also 
inherently that sometimes they're pushed towards that risk because of structural factors such as discrimination within the labour market or uh, language skills. And I just wonder, do you think sometimes that refugees are um, pushed towards the entrepreneurialism when actually they would prefer to be in employment, but that's not open to them? And what do you think the consequences of that of, the, of that is if if you do see that? Of course, I think, of course, this is one of the main reasons, if not the main reasons, that uh, refugees open a business formally or informally in the UK or in Jordan, anywhere. Um, what I have noticed, actually, it's uh, something interesting that sometimes I, I, I see that some refugees, some refugees decide to create a business in order to face the challenges that themselves and also other refugees face. For example, uh, there is a Syrian refugee in uh, Germany who created um, an app to teach German to other migrants or refugees. Or in Turkey, there is uh, another Syrian refugee uh, who created a consulting firm that helps businesses owned by refugees who don't know the, the regulations in Turkey or simply who want to export or who want to grow their business. So in these cases, I see that it is the real the very barriers that prevent, that, that usually prevent refugees to access self-employment, to open a business, that actually push them to be innovative and also with benefits for other refugees or other migrants. And this is innovation from the refugees themselves to almost provide a support infrastructure uh, for entrepreneurialism based on the gaps that they've noticed. Um, are there examples from your work of the state or from NGOs supporting and kind of developing that infrastructure. And is that in parallel to providing support for people to get into employment? Or is there a a kind of preference for entrepreneurship versus employment or vice versa? Well, especially in uh, here in Jordan, where I'm doing my research, um, there is a very high level of unemployment. So rather than providing employment support to refugees, the policy here is more to try to have refugees create employment um, as a way of having them being integrated in the Jordanian society and Jordanian economy. This, though, has its disadvantages because, of course, you cannot create uh, 100 um, home-based businesses that produce pickles. The market will be saturated and this can also lead to discrimination toward uh, the Syrian refugees from the local Jordanians. So uh, there are pros and cons, of course, of these programs um, supporting refugee entrepreneurship. And I think that, um, of course, it is paramount to have an assessment of the local workforce or the local market before starting any kind of this program. And uh, on the other hand, and at the same time, the regulations don't help because um, now in the case of Jordan, refugees cannot work in all sectors. So, of course, uh, such programs focus on providing, providing refugees with, um, with the opportunity of opening a business only in certain sectors where they can actually work. So I think that generally it's refugee entrepreneurship. Um, it's a very complex complex um, issue. It's really at the intersection of um, the social factors in the host communities, the economic outlook of the host country, refugees' previous experience skills, and of course, the uh, training network available, um, and also finance, financial support available for these refugees. 
do you think entrepreneurship supports integration and inclusion? Um, obviously, we know from the integration literature that workplaces can be really important sites for integration and inclusion. Yet, if people are setting up their own businesses, especially if they're micro businesses, they don't necessarily have access to that. Are there ways in which entrepreneurship supports inclusion or in some ways does it um, inhibit it by people being a little bit more isolated on, on their own as they set up their own businesses? It's actually both. What I'm thinking about uh, recently in my research is exactly the uh, double-edged word of the inclusion or integration um, issue. Um, generally, it's, um, generally, it's always taught that entrepreneurship brings to integration. And this is true ideally because when somebody, when a refugee in this case opens a business, he or she would interact with a, ser a series of people from customers to suppliers to, um, to um, the biz other businesses where he or she sources the, the products, etc. But in practice, I have seen that this really changes depending on the context. For instance, let me jump now in East Africa, where refugees, for instance, in Kenya, are not allowed to get out of the refugee camp and are in refugee camp. On the contrary, in Jordan or in the UK, um, they are mostly in cities. Um, here, uh, refugees tend to um, do business only between the same, among the same ethnicity. Uh, so there is really no much, not much of exchange and on of social inclusion. And the perception from the host community stays the same, stays the same negative stereotype of the refugee entrepreneur. So yes, I, I think that the, generally the, um, inclusion, uh, concept is very tricky. Yes, entrepreneurship can bring to inclusion, but it can also bring to exclusion if, uh, there is no support network. And in this, I think that, uh, local authorities or local business association and also CSOs play a really important role in uh, connecting one by one um, the refugee businesses with the local businesses, with the local customers or, or suppliers and so on. I know that you have been publicising some of the work that you're doing through a Twitter feed. Would you be able to share with us where people can follow you to find out more? Yes, it's at, at uh, refugee underscore E-N-T-R. Thanks so much, Jill Deb. You've been listening to the Migration Oxford podcast. I'm Rob McNeil. And I'm Jackie Broadhead. We couldn't pass up the opportunity to take a closer look at the Taking Care of Business exhibition at the Migration Museum. So myself and Aditi went for a bit of a guided tour around the museum and around the exhibition. And if you're interested in that, we have a bonus episode coming out soon.